I was consulting with a colleague last week about this First uh, Corinthians reading, and he said, oh, you're preaching on that one. Some readings don't need sermons, and that's one of them. Great, I thought. It'll save me a lot of time. I'll just read this verse to you once, and uh, let the Holy Spirit get what you need out of it. After all, what more needs to be said about love than the lavish praise that Paul heaps onto it in this reading? Maybe nothing more needs to be said. The thing is, showing love in the body of Christ is far easier said than done. So, I'll talk a little bit about it. If we were to hear this whole letter in its entirety, like the original hearers did, we get a clear idea of what the love encouraged by Paul looks like. But since we don't have time to hear the whole thing, I'll give you some context. See, some of the believers in Corinth acted as if they had no need for others. Gee, nobody acts like that in church anymore, do they? And I'm not immune to this feeling, okay? I mean, there are times when I just want to be away from everyone else and do nothing. But those are passing feelings, and I pray I never reach a point where I want to act on them permanently. But there are some who do act on it, which negatively affects the unity of the body of Christ, the church. That's what keeps me from quitting. I don't want to further destroy the unity of the church. The Spirit compels me to stay with you, to stay with all this. But Paul was also dealing with those who were behaving as if their personal manifestation of the Spirit was for their own benefit and not for building up the church. There appeared to be a good deal of self-serving believers and they had some self-serving attitudes and some strange behaviors going on. Things that we would maybe identify with, but not that we have that kind of problem on the same scale. I mean, we're not getting letters from the synod president or the district president telling us to shape up and be more like Christ and follow his ways, right? That's not happening. Nevertheless, the solution for the Corinthians back then and for us is love. Everything else is temporary. Whether prophesying, sharing knowledge, or speaking in tongues, in contrast to all these self-focused activities, love never ends. And the love our God is teaching us about through Paul's letter here is not the kind of internal, emotional, or good feeling when you think of someone or something kind of love. It's the kind of love that hates living for self. I know that's kind of a strange way to put it. How can love hate? They're opposite. Well, consider that the love Paul is talking about here is active, righteous, loving, for the good of the sister and brother in Christ. The Christian church can't stand or operate on love confined within the individuals, within, the, within each member of the body, focused only on themselves or ourselves. How would that work for the good of others? 
Now, some might say, well, if we loved ourselves enough and fixed our own problems, then there wouldn't be any need to help others. Well, my friends, that's the Church of Scientology and all the other self-help religions. Their self-focused, don't-need-others system doesn't work. And someday, they're going to collapse. Not the Church of Jesus, though. We are continually being built up by the work of the Holy Spirit. We are, however, sometimes a little confused with love. How do I love thee? Let me count the... Oh, see? Folks at the 8.30 service knew it too. That age, that famous poem by Elizabeth Browning, it still resonates in the world today, doesn't it? I say I love you to Jill and my son and to my parents, but love means different things in each case. I love all of you, but you know that that doesn't mean the same as my love for God. I also love certain songs and art. I love certain things to eat and certain places. And I loved it when the California Angels finally won the World Series. <laughs> That's a long time ago, wouldn't it? I'd love it if they won again. People fall in and out of love. There's so many definitions of love. And no doubt in your small groups, in your Bible studies, whatever, you've done a Bible study where the author categorizes these different kinds of love according to the original Greek of the New Testament, right? You know, agape love and filial love. Agape love is usually the is usually defined as the as the perfect godly love, distinguished from a filial love, which is brotherly type love, which is different than eros love, which is the romantic kind of love, and all of that. But take it from someone who had to learn the Greek and pass a hellish battery of exams on it, no language is that precise. There's considerable overlap between all these different meanings of love in the New Testament. For example, John uses both godly and brotherly type love interchangeably when he talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. Context, you know, that's what the Apostle is, whatever the Apostle is talking about helps you and me figure out what kind of love he's talking about. So let's take a look at these verses you hear at weddings and anniversaries all the time. These famous lines, unfortunately in English, sound hopelessly blind and foolish. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Beautiful, isn't it? Poetic. If we take a hard look at ourselves, though, we discover the love Paul meets here is not our love for each other. It can't be. He'd be so wrong. The fact he has to write this letter in the first place, saying the things he's saying, cancels out any notion that this is about our love for each other or God. We're not always patient. Our love is not always kind. We envy and boast. We're arrogant and rude. Much of the time we insist on our own way. We're irritable and resentful. Oh yes. And we rejoice at wrongdoing because we bought into the lie that any and all human love is good.
and wins, whatever that means. We don't always rejoice in the truth, and we don't believe all things. So how can this be human love? I do weddings for church members. Very rarely will I officiate a secular wedding, and if I do, it's only for a family member, for which I did one a few years ago, and the couple wanted these verses that I just read, it's in your bulletin there. They wanted those read at their wedding, and I'm thinking, oh, they don't have a clue what this means. And I can't teach them because they don't believe. Sin tempts couples to fail at every one of these at every moment of the day, whether they're Christian or not, because the devil hates marriage and everything God set it up to do and stand for. But thankfully, these verses aren't a love test for us to pass or measure ourselves. They're a measure of God's love for us. I don't have time to go into all the little details of the language, but a better understanding is God's love supports without limits. God's love trusts and is faithful without limits. Hopes without limits. Never gives up. Remember John 13, 1. Jesus loved them to the end. So, contrary to popular understanding, love isn't really blind. Rather, love from God is without bounds and is permanent. And this applies to you. You are not out of the bounds of God's love. And that's good news, folks. And for this last minute, I'll go back to what I said earlier. Love hates living for self. The problem of the, of the self-seeking puffed up with pride Corinthians are blown away like chaff in the wind when held up to the light of God's love. Paul is calling on them and to us no less than to live life as if the last day had already come. Right? On the last day, what we do for ourselves won't matter. So why should it matter now? Paul isn't talking about taking care of ourselves the way we need to and all that. He's talking about self-serving, self-absorbed love for oneself. That doesn't benefit another. No, Paul's talking about the love that benefits others. And I can't create that kind of love in you. I can't tell you to be more loving as God loves you and you'll just go out and do it or just be that way. That's not how it works. I can show you how it works, or I can show you where it says, point you in the right place where God says how it works. For us to show the love of God that he has for us, imperfect as we are, happens when the Holy Spirit kills the old Adam in baptism, and a new person daily rises to life, to love God and love thy neighbor. And by the Spirit, this does happen. Let me count the ways. Our preschool, for one. The possible God donation closet. The senior group on Wednesday. Our trips with the youth. The meals we make for each other. Hope Diner. The Springs. 
the, the donations that you raise and give for the homeless people in our city. We are the body of Christ. We've been, we have been since our baptism. And each member works for the common good of others. We have been and are fully known by God, and his love for us is limitless. That's a boundary he's placed on himself. The love we show and do in response brings a small piece of the future kingdom to the right here and now, in Christ, who is the very embodiment of love. So, may his love that comes down to you from heaven keep you going to the last day and forevermore. Amen.